0: And welcome to Writing the Coast, I'm your host, Megan Cole, and Writing the Coast is the official podcast of the BC and Yukon Book Prizes. On Writing the Coast, you'll hear conversations with the winners and finalists of the annual BC and Yukon Book Prizes, as well as interviews with readers and book lovers from across the province and territory. For this episode, I spoke to a creative duo whose cookbook landed them on the shortlist for this year's BC and Yukon Book Prizes. Here they are to introduce themselves.
1: Um, My name is Joanne Sasvari and I'm a writer and editor based here in Vancouver, British Columbia. I edit a couple of magazines about booze, which is kind of super fun. So that's the Alchemist and Vitis. And I write for a number of different publications like the Vancouver Sun and edible Vancouver, Vancouver Island. And of course,
2: I am the co-author of Island Eats.
0: And Don, do you want to go next?
2: So I am located in Comox, Vancouver Island. Um, I've been here for about six years and have always loved everything to do about food, uh, whether it's uh, creating at home or or eating out. Um, When I came out to Vancouver Island, I started the Edible Vancouver Island Magazine, which I published and owned for three years. Still involved with that from a more from a business development perspective now and and helping it grow into other things. And I'm of course the co-author of Island Eats with Joanne.
0: Joanne and Don's cookbook, Island Eats, Signature Chefs' Recipes from Vancouver Island and the Salish Sea, is a finalist for the 2022 Bill Duthie Booksellers' Choice Award. In our conversation, we talked about food, of course, but also why regional cookbooks are so popular right now. Here's my conversation with Joanne Sasfari and Don Posnikoff. My first question for you, uh, I've started asking kind of a weird question uh, to start the interview. <laughs> um, it, it is entirely unrelated to the book. But if you could read one book or watch one TV show
2: oh, forever no.
0: and always, which would it be and why? Go ahead, Dawn. And
2: It's not food related, but uh, one of the ones that I love is A Gift from the Sea*. Uh, by Ann Moore Lindbergh. And I find that it's one of those books that no matter what stage you're in, what you're doing, whether it's business related or personal related, whatever, you know, wherever you are in your journey, I just find it, there's always a tidbit that you can get from that book. And I find it just kind of is, a, is an everlasting book that lasts for generations.
1: I wish I had as thoughtful an answer but I kind of don't and I'm sort of a bit mortified to admit it but the thing that I could watch over and over and ask my husband I do is the 1995 uh, mini series of Pride and Prejudice with Colin Firth and Jennifer Ely and to me it is just so soothing (laughs) and so beautiful and yeah beautiful language and lovely dancing and it's just it's just very it makes me happy
0: yes and we need those shows right now. I watch Shetland, like I've watched Shetland like I think fifteen <laughs> times, probably more actually, through the pandemic. Like I could probably do a one woman play of Shetland at this point. I've watched it so many times.
1: Have you read the books as well?
0: I haven't. I'm tempted to read them, but then I know they won't be the same, so
1: Well, they're not, but the advantage of them is they're very, very long. So they're mm. good long, time consuming books, which I'm finding very important too.
0: Yes. I might have to do that. So I'm curious maybe to start out how the two of you met.
2: Uh, So we actually met through Edible Vancouver Island. Um, We, when we started Edible Vancouver Island, Julie Ovenel was our editor and she had worked with Joanne in the past and she brought Joanne in as one of our contributors. And she has been contributing and writing with Edible Vancouver Island ever since. So that is how we originally met. Now having said that, we didn't actually meet in person until we were in Tofino on a tourism related, sort of a marketing, uh, marketing court or, or journey out there. And that's where we actually met in person and started talking about the book, so.
1: And so I believe that trip was right at the beginning of 2020, <laughs> in fact, if I recall correctly, it was, I think we met like two days before everything shut down for the pandemic. We did, March. we did. And yes, um, yeah, so we, uh, we agreed to do the thing, we got all excited about it, we signed all the papers and then boom, everything shut down. <laughs>
0: i want to talk about some of those challenges in a little bit because i think it's something that i i was doing an interview with but uh she just recently published only in saskatchewan which is a regional cookbook uh, about saskatchewan and and there were a lot of challenges that she faced how doing a regional cookbook in a pandemic that i don't think maybe most people would think about but we'll get to that in a little bit um i would love to hear more about so you you met and how did the, the book start? When did that come into the picture? Joanne, do you want to start with this one? You know, it's I, I can't exactly
1: remember how it all began, but I know that there have been a number of different writers who've pitched this idea in the past. And, I mean, Vancouver Island is an amazing food destination. There's just an incredible core of, of talented chefs but also this incredible regional ingredient richness that that is unlike anything else in bc even for a province that has a lot of that whole you know farm to table kind of situation the island's amazing so this book has been pitched over and over but the problem has always been how do you get the chefs into one place to take the pictures so it all came down to the photography, and. Dawn and I were kind of chatting about this. And I think that because of her connection with edible, she could come up with a solution to the photography because she has a photographer who travels around to all of these places. And that was, I think the thing that tipped it from the, wouldn't it be nice to, Oh, this is actually doable. Would you agree, Don? Does that, does that.
2: Really yeah. And, and I think uh, just to give a little bit more background, um, I actually was gifted a copy of Calgary cooks, which is part of the figure one series. Um, and I kind of went down a bit of a rabbit hole and thought, hey, this would be a great idea for Vancouver Island, um, at which point I noticed that Joanne had written the Vancouver version. Um, so, so at that point, we, we pitched the idea to uh, to the publishers and said, you know, we are uniquely qualified because we are covering all of Vancouver Island. We do have the photographer. We already know the chef. And, and it's really going to be a regional representation based on the relationships we have. So, so yeah, so that's sort of when it took off and, and we, we did connect. In the end, we, didn't, we, we used our photographer. So, uh, you know, great shout out to Danica McDowell for, for taking all of the on-site pictures of all of the chefs and all of the uh, background photos and everything. But in the end, we actually ended up recreating all the recipes in Vancouver in a studio to do all the food photography, so so that in itself was really an interesting, um, uh, a new. I don't think we've done that with the cookbook before, and it was an interesting challenge, but a lot of fun to to bring it together that way. So, so yeah.
1: Yeah, and because I'd done the Vancouver Eats book earlier, um, I already had the re- relationship with, with the, the team at Figure One, and I know how awesome they are to work with and could ha- could sort of, you know, cut through some of the questions quite easily, because they knew that they could trust me, I think, I hope, <laughs> and I love working with them. So I think that because we we could have this really very honest communication about how we could do that, we could kind of make this thing that seemed impossible, possible. Yeah.
0: I wanted to ask a little bit about the vision for the book because you started, you said you started the book before COVID and then COVID happened. You had to recreate all the dishes in the studio in Vancouver. Was the vision the same as it was in the beginning or was it the same at the beginning as it was in the end? Um, And what shifts did you need to make uh, along the way?
1: Well, I think that in some ways it remained the same but in a very fundamental way it didn't so you know it was all the idea was always to represent all the different communities and of the island and 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 the gulf islands as well to have you know big places that are well known and small places that are not and have that real um regional representation but what did change is that it became very much a celebration of community as something that really was um it was all about hope and positivity in the end, and it was bringing people together. So in the beginning, it was like, hey, let's tell this cool story. And in the end, it was something much more, much deeper and more meaningful, I think, not just to us, definitely for us, but also to the chefs who participated.
2: Yeah, I, I was going to say something similar. It, it was very much a celebration and it became um, it became almost almost like a survivor story, right? I mean, we, we've made it through this. And, and even at the beginning of the pandemic, when we were, because we were going and pitching the idea to the chefs and they had, to, they had to, you know, invest their time and energy and resources into making this happen. And it was really, you know, a story of hope and, and, and positivity right from the beginning, like Joanne said, and, and it was really uh, more so than just a regular, you know, collecting of recipes and, and writing stories so it really brought them all together and uh, and it was it was a really really great project that way
0: it's it's interesting to hear you to talk about that because i think i mean we saw that on such a on a level uh, through the pandemic the way that people really did you know do what they could to support restaurants and to support food producers because they were struggling they couldn't open up and have people in the restaurants and um and you were able to go and meet with them and to tell their stories. And I think it must have been such a different time to talk to these people than it would have been four years ago or, and what it would be even five years from now. Like it, you kind of got them in the middle of something pretty terrifying for a lot of them.
1: Well, and, and don't forget that in 2020, there were um, travel bans for most of that year too. So we weren't, it was very, like we couldn't get to most of the restaurants. I mean, um, Danica could because it was a little bit later in the process that she was doing the photography but but you know in 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 summer and fall 2020 we weren't doing a lot of travel it was very and it was it was scary out there because we didn't know you know and you know when you did stay at a hotel it didn't feel all that great and yeah so so it became a bit of a I don't know it, it was it was a very a much more emotional journey for sure than any book I've ever done
2: now the good news is that they all had time on their hands because they were closed, <laughs> so they were easy to connect with as opposed to to uh, trying to get them during busy. Um, some interesting stories from Danica though is because she was doing some of these travel or some of these photos during uh, COVID restrictions, and you know there was some where she had to, you know, not only were they wearing masks you know that they took off for the photos but you know she could only have one person in the room at a time and you know those types of restrictions were were in place when she was doing some of the photos so so not to mention a few snowstorms and salt spring (laughs) island and a few road closures that that affected her It it was a fun journey yeah so
0: yeah i one of the things that i'm always struck by with regional cookbooks um as i mentioned i i did an interview about uh only in Saskatchewan too and I think like what I always am really struck by is like in some ways it seems like it would be easier to cover the food of a region than a country but what I always find is that it really highlights how much variety there is within the region that instead of it being like oh it's just what's on Vancouver Island it's more like oh my gosh look what's on Vancouver Island and so You've both written about about food on Vancouver Island and and in BC, but I'm wondering if you learned anything new about the region and the region's food through this book. And looking at Joanne's face, it looks like maybe you learned a lot. Uh, But if you can (laughs) mention a few, that would be great. And Joanne, if you want to start.
1: Sure. Um, There was a lot, actually. Um, There is a kind of a a, a a giant wave of chefs that are moving to the island into the gulf islands who've all like staged or worked at michelin star restaurants around the world And i think that was the first thing that was kind of like oh my god i can't believe this person is here you know here they are on you know galliano or salt spring or in you know little euclid or wherever the case may be so the um the level of skill and talent, I think, was really shocking, and and it was always things like, oh, um, what is it? Swept away in the Moroccan chef who runs an inn on a tugboat in Port Alberni. Like, who the hell knew, right? And it's and I know it was just like everybody we talked to was just like, no way. Um, there was the chef who had been a oh, what was he? He was up in the north
2: doing some. Oh, uh, the- Kelly Calendar, the one that was working on the ship.
1: I'm thinking of um, somebody else but yeah I mean people who had just done really really remarkable things so I think that was really exciting and then just some of the ingredients and some of the dishes that people were making as well was was kind of a one of those wow I had no idea and
2: um, yeah there's two things on that one is it definitely because it's regional um as opposed to, and, and the other ones were really good too. But when you're in a city, you tend to get, you know, a bunch of restaurants in downtown Vancouver or whatever. Um, but here you're getting, like you say, you're getting a tugboat in Port Alberni and you're getting a little bakery, you know, in some in Ladysmith and you're getting smoked fish from Port Hardy. It's like a real, we, 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 and we worked really hard to get that diversity, both in location and the type of um, chef and, and business that we were working with. So it's a real, you know, interesting regional representation that way. And the other thing as far as ingredients, I think one of the things that um, was interesting is that people that live on Vancouver Island, I mean, it's human nature to take for granted the ingredients that you have out your back door. But ingredients that that people take for granted on Vancouver Island are things like smoked kelp. You know, people in Saskatchewan aren't going to be able to have smoked kelp <laughs> in their pantry. So working with the chefs and saying, OK, what are some good substitutions? Or how can we make this if we don't have, you know, smoked kelp or, or some of the other, you know, interesting. Uh, but, but but that introduces people to those types of ingredients. And, and I love it for that. But it was interesting just how they just sort of assumed that everybody had access to some of the ingredients that we are so, so um, honored and capable to, to, to show some.
1: And one of the other things, um, I mean, I live in Vancouver now, but I grew up on the island in Nanaimo. So I know the island fairly well. And I mean, towns like Nanaimo and Port Alberni are like these post-industrial towns that were mill towns. They were not food destinations at all. And going back and seeing how the food scene has changed in those destinations and how the food scene has changed the destinations themselves, like Nanaimo is kind of amazing for food right now. And Port Alberni, holy Cats. that place is just developing <laughs> really cool stuff and I mean who knew Port Alberni it's like it's where you drive through on your way to Tofino or like little Euclid I mean Euclid is so exciting for food right now and it's just getting more exciting all the time and I mean to me I think that was kind of almost the best story just like you know growing up on the island knowing that it was kind of you know pretty blue-collar communities but now they're just so dynamic and diverse and Interesting, and I think a lot of it comes down to the whole food community, which is a great community to work with.
0: Yeah, I, you both kind of mentioned ingredients a little bit, and and what we what's available on the island, and but what I I would love to hear the two of you talk about is also the way that these chefs have taken their experience, whether it's in kitchens abroad or their own cultural backgrounds, and they then take that and combine it with these local ingredients to create a dish that is familiar maybe to whatever kitchen they were working in or where they grew up, but is somehow completely different because they've managed to use smoked kelp or whatever it might be. So I would love to hear you talk about kind of what you saw with that as you were putting the cookbook together. And Don, maybe if you want to start on this one.
2: You're <laughs> well, we're both thinking. <laughs> no, well, actually one comes to mind as is, um, is Blue Spruce ice cream? Who you know? They make amazing. Wow, they make amazing ice cream with with different ingredients. Whether it's uh, spruce tips or. Or or lavender or whatever, but but they one of the recipes uses bannock to make an ice cream sandwich because Kristen has a, a back you know an indigenous family and and so they used uh, bannock for their ice cream sandwiches. So just incorporating their their community and their family and their lifestyle into their ingredients and into the food was really a, a great a great experience to be part of. Joanne still pondering. <laughs> um.
1: I feel like it was less that they transformed it into something new and more that it just became so much a part of what the chefs were doing. Like I always love the story of the chef at Unsworth who in the in the Couchin Valley. So Unsworth's a winery and you know his stuff is very wine friendly. And but he connected with some local monks who go out foraging for him and they find the mushrooms that he puts into his risotto. And I just think like, what an amazing Vancouver Island story because where else are you going to do that in British Columbia? Not too many places have some monks going out and finding your morels for your, you know, for your dinner, which is kind of cool. And, um, you know the the three uh the three chefs over there on galliano who are running that little cafe and all of them worked at michelin star restaurants along the way and now they're doing these high level meals in a cafe with like locally forged lobster mushrooms and i just think that's and kelp i think is that is in that one as well and i just i just, mm-hmm. just the way all of that is woven in is just it just feels very um it feels very organic and very authentic if that makes sense
0: yeah it does one of the biggest questions I had was how you, I mean, there's so many chefs and restaurants I'm sure you could have included, but how did you decide who to include? Um, did you already have a list in your head when you started, or did it kind of evolve as as you went along? A
2: little of both, um, because, again, because I was already working with edible a lot of these restaurants were already partners in some capacity whether they you know whether they're advertisers or whether we'd written editorial stories about them so so i have a list probably about 150 different businesses around the island and then joanne and i went through that and and really talked about which ones were doing really you know which stories we we wanted to to highlight and and focused on them first and it was really an invitation to participate um, in this in this great project, and, and we kind of work together to narrow the list down to, to some some really interesting stories. Now, having said that, the other 150 are all, you know all of them have great stories and, and we could have uh, we can easily do another another book probably, but that's sort of the process that, that we started with.
1: Yeah, and for a lot of the restaurants, too, given what was going on in the world, they, they just didn't have the bandwidth. Like, it was like, you could just tell that this was like, just too much for them to deal with. So, um, so it was a, definitely a, a back and forth. But I think that, as Don says, that does mean that there's lots of opportunity for a second book, although perhaps not for a little while.
2: <laughs> well, and, and there was an interesting one thing that, that surprised us, but makes sense, is that some of the some of the restaurants that you would assume would be part of the book. So Zambri's and Victoria or locals and Comox. And, you know, some of the ones that are our main, you know, mainstay restaurants, Wolf in the Fog and those type of restaurants that aren't in the book. It, it's not because they didn't want to be. Um, and it's certainly not because we didn't want them and didn't invite them to be. But again, it's, it's a circumstance. It's a matter of, you know, they, they, some of them were in the middle of changing chefs or changing menus. And, and quite frankly, there was a lot of uncertainty and people didn't know what was going to happen over the next, you know, the next 12 to 24 months. So they just weren't sure that this was right for them. Um, on the flip side, we had like small little bakeries and, and houseboats that, that you would never think that they would, you know, be able to to commit to something like this. And they just jumped in like 100% they were in from, from day one. So, so it was a real interesting dynamic in terms of of who who uh, who came to the table from
0: one of the I mean working with chefs these are dishes that come from their restaurants you you have to then make it accessible to the home chef um What were the challenges with making, because some of the the dishes do obviously lend themselves more easily to the average cook, you know, the spaghetti and meatballs. Yes, making spaghetti from scratch would be a (laughs) challenge for some folks, but it's not insurmountable. Other things probably would feel like an impossible task to some folks, but was there a decision to balance those recipes or how did you approach the recipes for the book?
1: Well, you know, this is now, I've done several of these Kind of books now, these sort of multi-chef things. And of all the books I've ever done, this was by far the most accessible. And almost all of the recipes were like that from the chefs. Like the chefs just got it right away. Like most of the time, a chef wants to give you something super hard and complicated with a thousand moving parts to show off what they can do. But these guys all got it right away that this is something that we want people to actually cook from. And, you know, there were a few that we went back and forth on, you know, try to make it a little bit more easy and accessible but generally speaking they got it right away and it was kind of one of the one of the really joyful parts of doing this book was that the communication I I don't know it's just it just worked right from the beginning that said there are a couple of recipes that are a little bit more what we can call elevated
0: for the experienced for the experienced (laughs) home cook
2: (laughs) yeah but but for me that makes it accessible to a larger audience too right because some people do want to be challenged and they do want to be able to make you know the the gourmet recipes that are that are that are that represent those restaurants. Um, so you know you don't want to go to to Puvio and learn how to make I don't know. Well actually their their, their one recipe is gourmet granola, and it was like really is that is that going to be the recipe you want to submit? And it kind of took us by surprise. And I don't know if this is a good story to share, but but when you start making the granola, you're deep frying wild rice. And you're drying quinoa, and you're, you know, they have some interesting ingredients in there, and they just do things differently, and it really is worth the effort, and and a totally different experience than your than your typical granola. But but the point being, you know, it was nice to have some of those more in-depth recipes as well to give it a bit more balance. So
1: yeah. And I think in some ways the simplicity, well, not simplicity, the relative simplicity, let's call it, of of the recipes also reflected that. That no matter where you are in the island, the, the cuisine almost always is very much driven by the ingredients, and when you've got such amazing ingredients, you don't really want to mess around with them too much. You know, you want to let them shine, and I think that's what most of the chefs do anyway. So they may be bringing very high level technique and skill to the to the table, but they're they're still letting the ingredients just do their thing, and I think that really came through with a lot of the recipes they sent us. Yeah, yeah.
0: It's- So I wanted to chat a little bit about regional cookbooks because, um, Joanne, you've done a a Vancouver one. And and as we've mentioned, this is something that Figure One has done several um, regional cookbooks. I believe they just had one about PEI come out. Um, But why do you two think we're so interested in regional cookbooks right now?
2: Well, for me, I mean, I've always been, I mean, Joanne and I both have, have always Loved local. We've always been been uh, proponents of of eat local and know your producer, know your farmer. So so from that perspective, it's just an obvious choice to to create a regional cookbook that that focuses on local. But I think the other thing is it's you know now that we're working on so we're now working on an Okanagan version, um, and it really is amazing the difference in the regions. And I don't think people realize. You know if you make a pasta even if you make spaghetti and meatballs on the island compared to spaghetti and meatballs in Kelowna there's going to be something in that recipe that's just a little bit different whether it's you know using elk instead of beef or whether you know it's just it's just very interesting how some of those subtle changes you know really impact the regional cuisine overall and so uh, so that's what I love about it and I love that you know having the different chefs contribute you just get so many different perspectives on local and what it means to be local. And, and um, yeah.
1: I also think that, I mean, when I travel, I'm trying not to do this anymore because I have way too many cookbooks in my house. But when I travel, <laughs> I like to think of a cookbook of the place that I've been, I want to kind of recreate that or remember it, that destination. And I think that's definitely part of it. I think there's, always that, oh, I love this restaurant. I wanna kind of you know see what they make. To me, I love that feeling of like pulling aside the curtain and sort of seeing what's behind. I mean, my favorite thing to do is, you know, to visit the kitchen in, in a restaurant and see, oh how did they set that up? How do they do this? So it's a, a little bit of that, you know, um, insider secret kind of thing. But I think now, especially, like more so than, you know, three years ago, people also really very, very much want to support their local chefs. They want to, you know, they want to do what they can. Their local chefs, their local restaurants, their local producers, and especially when you've got an ingredient-driven cuisine. I mean, you're not just supporting the chef, but you're supporting all the farmers that they support. So I think that there is very much that sense. And I think, I don't know, like it kind of makes it part of a community and, and which, again, was kind of what this all ended up being about in the first place so I think there's a lot of good reasons for it I and also you know the food is good the recipes are great they've been tested they work so you know all those good things
0: yeah
2: I'll say one more thing on that too is is that you know a pet peeve of mine is when there's a um a best of article or an article about you know, island cuisine, for example, or BC cuisine. And it's all about one small area. You know, it's a real challenge to get a regional wide view and perspective. But you know, that was that was really important to us right from the beginning that that we really do make it a regional representation. And, uh, and I just love how the cookbooks can do that, and, and really broaden people's awareness of what's there.
1: Well and it's such a great way to tell stories too, right? Because you know food brings mm-hmm. people around the table and and you know and it's it's happy news. it's not sad, it's not scary. it's just I don't know to me it's just just some of the most enjoyable reading just because you get to meet all these wonderful people doing wonderful things and and at the end of the day you've got something delicious to eat too or at least a good picture of it. <laughs>
0: Well, and, and to, uh, on the the stories part of it too, I think what I, what I love so much about the regional cookbooks that are being produced right now, um, like Island Eats, are that it's not just about the food; it's about those stories, and it's also I think that these regional cookbooks, um, really engage with that part of food telling the story of a place and I think sometimes I think for a while cookbooks didn't do that as much as they are now they're really like looking at how food can tell us a lot about what happened in an area and who lived there and what they brought and what they made and I think that's what's really beautiful about the way the two of you put this book together with with the stories of the chefs too well thank you
2: and, and I think, um, you know, the other thing with regional cookbooks is it's not just about the chefs and the restaurants, but every single one of them has an extended network of producers and fishers and foragers. And, and, and they, they are so proud of, of everybody that they work with and they give credit to everybody that they work with that really comes together to make a dish unique. And so I think being able to extend that story, you know, to all of those other, other um, you know, through the network is, is really important, too.
0: Now, this is probably an impossible question to ask. Maybe more impossible than my very first uh, question. But (laughs) do you have a favorite dish in the book? Or maybe two? Or even for the moment? (laughs) Maybe it changes Mm. based on what you're craving. So I don't know if it's a favorite
1: dish, but I and, and I know we're not supposed to pick favorites, but I have to admit that the spaghetti vongole, alla vongole, from um, Boom and Batten, I make that thing all the time. It's become like it's just part of the repertoire in our house now. Oh, that and the chocolate cookies from um, from the Tofino Resort, <laughs> Resort Marina.
0: Well, you need dessert, right? Right, totally.
2: <laughs> I've got a. a- a little bit different perspective in that I don't necessarily have a favorite recipe, but I have little bits and pieces. So I'll, I'll use different techniques. So I'll, I actually, when I make my granola now, I will, I don't necessarily dry the quinoa, but I'll add some deep fried wild rice for a little crunch. And so it's more taking some of those some of those bits and pieces out. Um, I'm, I'm cheating because I'm looking at the, the table of contents here while I'm chatting, but, um, but there's something in like bravocados. They do a, a vegan Caesar mix that is to die for. And I'm not vegan, but I make that for my Caesars now. And it's just so yummy. And it uses the, uh, sea water that you create using using kelp, and it uses uh, pickle juice, and it's just really unique. And so I've got little bits and pieces that I use. So so there's this recipe in uh, in there from Glow, for example, uh, for their spicy kung pao po bowl. And I'm not, I, I don't create the recipe exactly how they specify it, but the sauce is is really interesting how they reduce the sauce and 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 make something unique. And so I use bits and pieces. But the other thing you want to say is that. Um, I get family members and friends and my kids. In fact, I just got a text last night from my daughter-in-law, and she said, "I need to make the carrot cake from your cookbook. Can I? Can you please send me the recipe because I don't have the book handy?" And you know, my mom's carrot cake is my mom's favorite. So I get things like that almost every week. That somebody has made a recipe and sends me the picture, or they're asking for the recipe, or you know, talking about the recipe. So, so that's you know, that's where I where I get pumped.
1: And I know exactly what you mean about taking parts of the recipes, like the pasta recipe for the Courtney room, mm-hmm. caramella. okay. The caramella is a little fiddly to make, but I use the pasta recipe all the time, like a surprisingly large amount of time now um, that <laughs> it's really delicious. Oh my gosh. So good. And then there's the, um, the, uh, the, 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 the celery root, the celery puree mm-hmm, that is part puree. of the dish for, um, for the Kingfisher uh, recipe. And that thing is so delicious. And I make that all the time too. So yeah, I totally agree with you. You take little bits and pieces that just become part of your regular repertoire. I don't even remember where I got them from now, but yes, that's uh, that's exactly how it works.
2: Well, and I think that's an important conversation to have because a lot of Um, a lot of home cooks are scared to get creative with recipes and they have to follow it from A to Z. And if they're missing an ingredient or, you know, if they don't have everything in their, in their pantry, then they hesitate from, from trying the recipe at all. So I think, you know, giving people some, some leeway to have some flexibility and creativity and mix and match, you know, some of the recipes a bit, I think that's a lot of fun. And knowing that you have an entire book of It's kind of like having a color palette where everything kind of goes together. You've got an entire book of regional ingredients, and whether you're using salmon or halibut or celery roots or, you know, a corn succotash, you can mix and match a little bit and have some fun with it.
0: That was Joanne Sasfari and Don Posnikoff, authors of the cookbook, Island Eats, Signature Chef's Recipes from Vancouver Island and the Salish Sea. Island Eats is a finalist for the 2022 Bill Duthie Bookseller's Choice Award. If you would like to find out more about the BC and Yukon Book Prizes, visit our website at bcyukonbookprizes.com. You can also find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, where you can find out about all our upcoming events and more about our finalists. Next time on Writing the post, you'll hear my conversation with Danielle Geller. Danielle's memoir, Dog Flowers, is a finalist for the 2022 Hubert Evans Nonfiction Prize and the 2022 Jim Diva Prize for Writing That Provokes. Thanks for listening to Writing the Coast.